approach uh, John chapter 10, though, we continue on with our uh, sermon series looking at the gospel um, and, and the combination of how the gospels come together to show us a complete picture of who Christ is and his passions and his mission. Um, and we come to John, who records some events that we don't necessarily get in the other gospels, and we hear this message in chapter 10 about the good shepherd as Jesus describes himself and describes what he has come to do and those that he has come to save. And so if you would this morning, hopefully you found John chapter 10. If you would stand with me that we may honor the reading of God's word this morning. John chapter 10, starting in verse 1, and we'll be reading through verse 21. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord." I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we thank you that you are indeed the good shepherd that you have shown that over and over and over in our life. First on the cross and through the resurrection, but also as you have stood in the path of the enemy and that you have cared for us and that you have watched over us. That you have proven your love again and again. That you have guided us through storms. That you have guided us through difficult times. That we may find rest in you. Father, I pray this morning that as we think upon these things and we look at your words, that we would find great comfort in you, that we would find great rest in you, that we would find reason to rejoice this morning in you. And we pray all of this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
before we get into chapter 10 and what's going on there, it's important to understand that as Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, that he is drawing on something very old. He's drawing on a theme that the Old Testament carries throughout its passages. We see the idea of the shepherd in the Old Testament all over the place. We see God as the shepherd of Israel. You see it in Psalm 23, maybe most famously, a passage that we hear read and quoted all the time. We see it in Isaiah 40, 11. We see it in Jeremiah 31, 9. The idea that God is the one that watches over His people. That God is the one that provides for His people. That God is the one that protects His people. And in turn, that they come and they follow Him. But it's not just that God is the shepherd of Israel, but the Old Testament also gives us a picture of the Messiah as the good shepherd. Psalm 78, 70. Ezekiel 37.24, Micah 5.4, all give this picture of the coming Messiah, um, usually who they refer to as the servant David or as David's servant. Uh, they all give this picture of the Messiah as the good shepherd. Ezekiel 37 especially says that my servant David will come and he will gather them together um, as a shepherd gathers his sheep. And the idea there, though, it can't be David. David's been dead for a long time by that happened. So the writer, Ezekiel, the prophet, is looking ahead towards the Messiah, towards the coming one who would come and gather Israel together, the one that would heal Israel, the one that would restore Israel, the one that would watch over Israel. And so we see God in the Old Testament, God as the shepherd, and we see the Messiah as the good shepherd. But one text that is important for us to understand in the Old Testament to better understand John chapter 10 is Ezekiel 34, 1 through 16. Sorry, that's a little small on your, on your screen this morning. But Ezekiel 34, 1 through 16 gives us a picture of what is happening in both John 9 and John 10. In Ezekiel 34, God tells the prophet Ezekiel to speak to the shepherds, so to speak, the priests and the teachers of Israel at this time. He says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, you who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? And he goes on to describe there in 34 how the shepherds have exploited the sheep, how they have used the people of Israel for their own gain and their own wealth and their own well-being and have taken advantage of the position that they are in, how they have ignored the people of Israel, how they've allowed them to scatter and to chase after whatever they would chase after rather than gathering together, and how they have failed to heal the, the people of Israel, that they were a broken people, that they were a hurting people, and yet these shepherds that were supposedly there to take care of them had just allowed that to go on. They had... They had cease to care about the welfare of those that were under them. And so God calls them to a reckoning. And then he describes what he will do. In verse 11 of that chapter, he says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search out for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep, that they have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. 
I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them to their own land. Skipping down to verse 14. And I will feed them with good pasture. On the mountain heights of Israel it will be their grazing land. And they shall lie down in good grazing land on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the ears the injured I will strengthen the weak and the fat the and the strong I will destroy I will feed them in justice so you see this picture in Ezekiel 34 of shepherds that have abandoned their sheep who have exploited their sheep and then you see the picture of God's promises that he's going to come he's going to gather his sheep back up he's going to heal those that have been broken he's going to heal those that have uh, been uh, scattered and, and misplaced and mistreated and that he himself will be their shepherd fast forward then to John chapter 9 and uh, if you go back to uh, the the New Testament there John chapter 9 we see there a a playing out of Ezekiel 34 in that passage in that passage we have a wounded sheep this gentleman who has been blind from birth and the disciples and Jesus come upon him and there in verse uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 9 it says, And he passed by and he saw a blind man from birth and the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents that the works of God may be displayed in him. And so they come upon this man who is blind he is a wounded sheep. Not only in the sense that he is blind and, and has a physical ailment, but also in the sense that all those who look upon him assume that he or his parents have done something horribly wrong to bring this curse upon themselves. And so he's not just wounded physically, he has been, in some ways, ostracized from the community because he's seen as being unfit or unclean. He is a wounded and lost sheep. Jesus clarifies for us in something that probably deserves a sermon of its own, but he clarifies that this man has not sinned, nor did his parents sin, but rather that this trial that he goes through in this, in this term, in this point of his life, is so that God may be glorified, that God may have glory in what's about to happen. And again, the, there's a whole other sermon in that about trials that we face and that sometimes it's not about mistakes we've made, but sometimes, many of the times, almost all the time, it's just about God receiving glory. And so we see this wounded sheep. We see Jesus heal this man. And then we see the appearance of evil shepherds. We see some of the Pharisees and we see some of the Jews see this man and they are more worried about the fact that he has been healed on the Sabbath, on the day of rest, than they're, than they're rejoicing about the fact that he's gained sight. Imagine if we had somebody in our midst and they had been blind since birth and suddenly they could see, our initial reaction, you would think, would be to rejoice. Our initial reaction, you would think, would be to be overjoyed for them and what this means for their life, and we would be excited. Not these guys. These guys 
see what happened, and they see the work of Christ, and they are angry, and they are upset, and they drag him and his parents before a council, before a, a uh, mock trial in some ways, and they begin to question them. They begin to ask, how did this happen? Who did this? And, fi- and they begin to sling insult to Jesus that he's, uh, that he's a sinner, that he's not one to be trusted or to be followed. And the man responds and in a remarkable way. The man says, why, this is an amazing thing. You didn't, do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so he, this man is like astonished that these teachers, that they don't understand what's going on, and he tries to say, hey, this is crazy talk. We should be rejoicing. We should be excited. This guy is obviously from God. This guy is obviously who he says he is. And yet, their response is telling. They answer him in verse 34, You were born in utter sin. Would you teach us? And they cast him out. Now remember, just at the beginning of chapter 9, the disciples asked the question, Did this man sin? Did... And obviously he was a sinner. We all have sin in our flesh. But was there a particular reason? Was there something going on? And Jesus says, no, no, no. And yet here, the evil shepherds, they go through this trial, but because they are so consumed with themselves, because they're so consumed in their own pride and their own ego, they look at this man and they say, you are a sinner. What are you to us? And they cast him out. The act of expelling someone from a community is severe. It was severe for the Jews of the day. It is still severe in many parts of the world. We live in a, in a world where, for the most part, we're individuals and we, we take great pride in our individualism. And so the idea of being different from the rest is kind of, kind of uh, celebrated even. But in many parts of the world, they would rather take a beating. They would rather take public punishment than to be excluded from the community. And yet that is what these men do. They see a wounded sheep who has been healed. They see a lost sheep who has been returned to the flock. And rather than celebrate that, they cast him out. They get rid of him. In steps, once again, the good shepherd. Jesus says in 9.35, it says Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he, said, he answered him, saying, Yeah, who is he, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he that is speaking to you. And he said, verse 38, He said, the man, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus hears about what happens to this man, and he seeks him out once again. And he finds him, and he calls him to his true home. Don't worry about them. You belong to me. Don't worry about what the world says. Don't worry about that these evil shepherds have cast you out. Don't worry about the teachers of the day and what they may say. You belong to me. You worship me. And the man, upon hearing these words, hears the voice of his Savior and says, I'm going to follow you. I believe in you. 
This is the this is Ezekiel 34 playing out in real life. As God brings judgment upon the evil shepherds, calls them out for who they are and how they have disregarded the sheep and shows himself to be the good shepherd. It's upon the Ezekiel 34 and upon these events in chapter 9 that we finally get to chapter 10 as Jesus turns around and begins to speak to the crowd that had gathered and to even the Jews and some of the Pharisees who had been denying him to explain himself again as the good shepherd. Verse, chapter 10, verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold but by the door climbs in another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus begins to talk to us about what it means to be a shepherd and, and how he has come to be the good shepherd. And he begins to describe what the good shepherd does in comparison to those that are evil. One, he knows his sheep and they know him. He says, I come to the gate and they, the gate is opened for me and I call out and the sheep come. The picture here that we have in those days, there would have been attached to a home or another building, there would have been a, a pen of sorts that would have been probably a rock or, or a clay wall, sometimes a wood wall that came up and it would have been roughly square attached to this building. And on one side, there would have been a gate and a gatekeeper would have been stationed there 24-7. Now inside of that pen may have been many sheep that belonged to many different people. And so the shepherd would come and the gatekeeper recognizing him would open the gate and allow him access and then he would begin to call to his sheep and they would come to him and the others that did not belong to him would stay put until he had finally gotten all of his sheep with him and he was able to lead them out to pasture. And not only did, he, did they recognize his voice, but he recognized them. In many cases, he would have probably had individual names for them based on the way they looked and, and based on a, maybe a physical attribute or, or something like that. And so he knew them intimately. He knew when one was missing. He knew when one wasn't walking just right and needed to be attended to. He knew their personalities. If you've ever been around livestock, you know that, that there are times when you'll have one crazy cow that just you steer clear of as best you can, and then you have the other one that you can walk up to. He knew their personalities. He knew how to treat them. He knew how to guide them. And they know Him. In the same way, the picture is there for us. That Jesus Christ knows us. That He knows everything about us. That He knows all of the thoughts that we pray that no one else, know, that no one else knows. That He knows all of the things that we have done that we pray that no one else finds out that we've done. That He knows every interaction we've ever had that He knows every hair on our head, and yet He loves us. 
He loves us to the point that He is willing to die for us. This is why the Word of God talks about the love that a man shows that some might die for a good person, but Christ died for us knowing all of our faults, knowing all of our mistakes. He knows us intimately. He knows every step that you've taken. He knows all of the things that you go through right now. Friend, you may be here today, you may be listening to this today, and you may think, I'm going through this alone. No one understands the the things that I go through. No one understands the stresses on my life right now. No one understands the troubles, the fears that I have, and I can't share them with any. But Jesus Christ calls your name. And he says, come. Not only does he know his sheep, and not only do they know him, but he calls his sheep out. He calls his sheep out. You know, in the pen is relative safety. Staying inside the pen is protected. There is a guard there. There is someone watching out for them. There's a wall that protects them from outside agents that may come and try to destroy them. There are no wolves, hopefully, inside the pen. There's no bears inside the pen. There's no lion inside the pen. Inside the pen is relatively, relatively safe. And yet, inside the pen, there is no true life. There's no true life inside the pen. There's no room to wander. There's no room to uh, be free. There's no food inside the pen other than what maybe is brought in from the outside. But there's no grazing inside the pen. It's been trampled to death. It's dirt and mud and muck. There's no life there. It's like when we go to the zoo and we marvel animals. Like I can remember as a kid like going up to the zoo and looking in the cage and you see the, the tiger and he's laying there and you're just in awe of his size and of his strength and of his power and yet all he's doing is laying there, not moving. And you're just like, oh. And then as an adult, as you begin to learn more and as you begin to process more, you begin to realize that it's kind of a shame that he's in this pen because inside the pen, there's no room to really do what he's designed to do. That he can't hunt the way that God designed him to hunt. Oh sure, he gets food and he's fed well and he probably lives longer than he would live in the wild. But he's not a true tiger in some ways. There's no life there for him. He was made to be in the wild, to explore and to hunt, to fend for himself, to be alive. Jesus calls His sheep out of the pen. And sometimes that means calling us out of what we deem as safe, as what we deem as security. He calls us out so that, as He puts it in this passage, that we may experience life and experience it abundantly. But those that do not know His voice, they stay in the pen trapped in a cage of their own making, not even fully comprehending what's outside of those walls and what's available to them. I've shared this many times before, um, but C.S. Lewis used this, this analogy. He says it's like the, the street orphan that plays in the mud puddles uh, and builds mud pies and they're invited to the beach 
a holiday on the beach and they say, no, I'll just stay with my mud pies. This is what I love. This is what I enjoy. To be dirty and to filthy and they miss out on something so much grander. In the same way, Jesus Christ calls out to us and offers us life and life abundantly. Yes, it may not be as secure. Yes, it may not be as what we would call quote-unquote safe. But it's life. And the reality is is that when we are with Him and when we are in Him, it is the safest place we can be. He calls His sheep out. And He protects His sheep. He protects his sheep. He talks about that those that aren't truly shepherds, those that are just hired hands, that when they see danger, they run for the hills. When they see the hard times come, they're out of there. But Jesus in, in, uh, is different. He is the good shepherd who stands before the threat and offers his own life. Part of the picture that that undoubtedly the Jews probably would have drawn on is this picture of David. David, this young man who had been tasked and and put in charge of the sheep, and he goes and he visits his brothers who are in the army, and this big giant called Goliath who has been calling out Israel and threatening them, and no one will fight this giant. And David goes to the king, to King Saul, and says, why isn't anyone doing anything? I will go if no one else will go. And Saul says, who are you? What do you think you can do? And David says, hey, I'm a shepherd. And when the bear comes, I fight the bear. And when the lion comes, I fight the lion. Because I'm the good shepherd. I have faced danger. And in the same way, Jesus Christ puts His life on the line before our enemy and says, I will fight this fight that you can't possibly do. Can you imagine a sheep versus a lion? It's, it's a bloodbath. Like, I mean, it's over before it begins. In the same way, when we stand before our ultimate enemy, Satan, and before our ultimate problem, sin, there is no fight. It's over before it begins. But the good shepherd lays down his life and says, I will take this on. And praise the Lord, he fought the fight and he won the victory. He protects his sheep. I love what he says there, by the way. If you look there, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, that I lay my life down to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. He makes no bones about it, that it is God that has given him this plan, that it is God that has given him the command, but Jesus makes it clear. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to pick it up. No one is taking my life from me. It is my own choice. Sometimes I think we over-victimize Jesus at the cross. We say, oh, those bad Romans. Oh, those bad Jewish leaders that called for His crucifixion. And yes, they have responsibility absolutely in what happened. But let us never forget that this is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if He didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't have happened. He laid His life down for you and for me knowing everything about us, that we may have life and have it abundantly. That is to be praised. 
as we ponder what Christ has done for us, as we ponder this good shepherd who has loved us well, as we ponder this good shepherd who calls us into life, as we ponder this good shepherd who protects us and has already laid down his life for us, that should cause us to rejoice. Indeed, as we think about this morning, our shepherd, for those of us that have placed our faith and trust in him to hear his voice, we rejoice in the Good Shepherd. Do you take time this morning? Think about it. Do you take time to rejoice in Him who has done all this for you? Are you like this blind man in chapter 9 who receives sight and then rejoices to know the One who has given him life? Rejoices to know the one that has performed this miracle in his life and says, I believe. This morning, do you rejoice in your Savior? Do you know and understand the depths of your need? Do you know and understand the consequences of your sin? Do you know and understand the, the enemy that you faced and the helplessness that you were in? Do you know and understand and rejoice in the Savior that you have and the life you have been given? Not just here, but for all of eternity. Do you rejoice? Do you follow Him? Do we hear His voice and take out after Him? Jesus says, those that know Me, that know My voice, they come. This morning, do you know His voice? Have you heard His voice? Do you follow Him? If we don't, if you don't, then it, then it does call into question, who is your shepherd? If we find ourselves roaming the hills on our own accord, then it does call into question, who is our shepherd? His sheep know His voice, and they follow Him wherever He would lead. I told the students at HLG, when we come to the big questions of life, or even the small ones, do we listen for Him? Do we wait on Him to give us an answer? Whether it be, what career should I have? Do we ask, let me ask the Good Shepherd who leads me well and who I follow? When we ask the question, who should I marry or should I marry? Do we say, let me ask the Good Shepherd who leads me and who leads me well? When we ask the question, how shall I serve Him? What should I do with my life? Do we ask the question, or do we go to Him and say, let me ask the Good Shepherd who leads me well and who I follow. Oh, that we would rejoice in Him, that we would follow Him, and then lastly, that we would find fellow sheep. One of my favorite lines in this whole passage says that and I in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. You realize he's talking about you and me? He's talking about you and me. We were not part of that fold at that time. We, vast majority of us, don't have Jewish blood running through our veins. We were sheep of another flock. We were sheep that were lost. 
And Jesus, through His grace and mercy, sent other people to go find us. That throughout history, God has used His sheep, His, His followers, to go throughout the world that they may proclaim the Gospel. And by His grace, you and I got to hear that message and to respond to it. That now we might be a part of the family of God. That we may be under one shepherd. United not by the blood of man. Not united by the actions of man. United not by a hobby. But united by the blood of Jesus Christ and His grace. And we look around the world and we see fellow sheep in Romania and South Africa and Madagascar and Korea and China and Cuba and we gather together with them and can cry, Abba, Father, because we are one. He says there that the Father knows me and I know the Father. He says in the same way they know me. It's this incredibly detailed knowledge of one another and of the God that we serve. And we have now the privilege to go out and to do the same. That the Holy Spirit in us leads us to go find fellow sheep. The ones that are lost, to gather them in. The ones that are wounded, to bind them up and to heal. Not by our own power, but by the grace that God gives us. This morning, as we have a time of response to His Word, can you rejoice this morning? That's my first, my first prayer, my first hope for us as a people, that we would really understand the depth of what the Good Shepherd has done for us and what He continues to do for us and where He has taken us, that we would rejoice and worship in that and that it would be reflected in all that we do. Pray that we would follow him. And I pray that we would have a passion to find his sheep. At the same time this morning, you may be sitting here, friend, and you may be one that would say, I am going through this alone. This difficulty, I am, I am alone and I am hurt and I am wounded. And this morning, Christ is calling your name, he knows your situation. He knows your heart. He knows all that you've done. And yet He calls you to come and to know His grace and His love and His mercy. To know forgiveness and to know life and to know life abundantly as you are adopted into His family, into His flock. I pray this morning that if that's you, that you would cry out to Him, that you'd pray, Lord, save me. Lord, lead me. If you don't know what that looks like, come and talk to us. We would love to talk with you after service or, or even during this time of response. You come and, and you find us. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up while they do. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have. We thank you for your word and, and what it means to us. We thank you that you, that you loved us first. Despite the fact that we were enemies of God, despite the fact that we were blind, that we were lost, that we were hurt, despite the fact that we think things that we, even we are ashamed of, that we do things that we know that are not right, Lord, that You in knowing us perfectly love us to the point that You were willing to lay Your life down for us. 
Father, I pray that we would rejoice in that this morning, that we would praise you this morning, that we would lift up our voices this morning, that we would, it would be on our lips throughout the week. Oh, what Christ has done for me. Father, I pray for the one that's here that feels like they are alone, that they would know that they have a good shepherd who is looking for them, who is calling for them, and who desires to give healing and rest and comfort. Father, we pray this in the beautiful, holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.